Please uh, stay standing for the reading of God's Word. We are in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. I'm going to back up. I'm going to actually pick up the verse in uh, chapter 1, verse 17. I'm reading from the uh, New American Standard, um, but you can follow along in your copy of God's Word. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depths of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the current engulfed me. All of your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Water engulfed me to the point of death, and the great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought me up, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. And the Lord came in of the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Amen. You may be seated. So we are in, like you said, we're uh, like I said, we're in Jonah chapter two, continuing on of our um, sermon series. This idea of, of running from God, but also running into God's grace and mercy. So it's kind of ironic that during my study of Jonah chapter two, that I ran into a new story of a fisherman in Maine. Now you guys might have seen this, so bear with me if you have. But it's a story like the, this is how the news story read. It's told like this. A little before 8 a.m. Friday. Now, this is June 11th, 2021. A, so, in, uh, a little before 8 a.m. on Friday, a lobster fisherman, veteran diver Michael Patrick, uh, sorry, Packard, entered the waters for the second dive of the day. Near the bottom of the ocean, Packard suddenly knew something was wrong. He said, All of a sudden, I felt a huge shove, and the next thing I knew, I was completely in darkness. Now, the paper quoted, in something truly biblical. I wonder what story they're referring to. Yep. So, in something truly biblical, Packard was swallowed whole by a humpback whale. Now, he said he struggled for some time, feeling the squeeze of the whale's muscles in his mouth. And the next thing he knew, he was thrown back into the sea. Now, we read another fish story. So I know last week we, uh, Tom talked about this, this idea of this, how we kind of come to Jonah and we, we can't even fathom the idea that a person was swallowed whole by a fish. But here we read in the newspaper, not even two weeks, three weeks ago, we have a man who was swallowed by a, by a whale. So God can do uh, just marvelous things. And we're going to read that here in Jonah. So as we kind of look at this, this section in Jonah, my main point is, is God pursues his people even in our own disobedience and sin. Let me say that again. God pursues His people even in our own disobedience 
and sin. Now we read from last week the story of Jonah in the first, the first chapter of, of Jonah. Jonah is running from God. You know, we, we see that he gets a command from God to go and preach to the Ninevites. And what does he do? He kind of turns tail and he runs. But his running is, is kind of a, uh, a progression. You know, he's running down to Joppa. That's where he catches the ship to go to Tarsus. You know, and on his way, on his running down to, to Tarsus, he, uh, on his way to Tarsus, he, he continues to journey down as a, a storm hits the ship and he finds himself running down into the ship. Once he's confronted by the fishermen, he's tossed into the sea again, again separated from God, and now he's going down into the sea. This is where we pick up the story this week. As Jonah continues to run from God, he finds himself not only running from God, but running into God and running into God's grace and mercy. Now you see here in Jonah, God is not ready to let Jonah continue to run. Jonah knows that he cannot run from God, but you know what? Man, he's trying, isn't he? You know, Jonah has not forgotten who God is. You know, from last week, as we read in the, uh, in the first chapter of, of Jonah, verse 9, when they're confronted by the storm, and they ask Jonah, who is it that you're running from? He tells them the, the, who, who God is, the one true God, the one who made the storm, the sea, and the dry land. And after they encounter the one true God, what do the fishermen do? They become extremely frightened when confronted with the truth. And after they tossed Jonah in the sea, the storm subsided and the men went away fearing God and worshiping God. So in this section in Jonah, we're going to kind of pick up in verse 17 and we're going to end in verse 10. But really these two verses are kind of bookends to this whole chapter. Right? We see that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. Tom handled that verse last week. And then verse 10, we see the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on the dry land. So these kind of like these two bookends, but in, the, in between, God is really doing something, something in Jonah's life that we can maybe take away from today. Now, I think Jonah can see it, you know, but... Here in these, uh, these, these, these verses, this, this second uh, chapter of, of Jonah, he doesn't really hear from God. At the beginning of Jonah chapter 1, he heard a clear voice for Jonah to go to the Ninevites and preach his word. Here, we see that Jonah is no longer running from God. Right? He's found himself confronted by God. You know, Jonah's running has stopped... And he knows he's in God's mercy from the belly of the fish. And I don't think he really understands that God's grace was upon him. You know, would you? You know, in Jonah, we read, we are drawn to the suffering that Jonah is, is, is really, he's suffering because of his disobedience. You know, God calls Jonah to go. Jonah disobeys. And he goes the opposite way. So in hindsight, we can see that the most important lessons that maybe we have learned in life are a result of God's severe mercies. 
The great fish in this example is such a severe mercy. Obviously, the fish saves Jonah's life by swallowing him, but he is still in a situation where he cannot see God's mercy on his disobedient life. When we read this story, you might think of Jonah's really deserves all that he's, that's coming to him. Right? He's directly disobeyed God, and now he finds himself really in a very unique situation. You know, the Bible is full of stories of God's servants suffering, right? Either through their own disobedience, like Jonah, right? Or we all know the book of Job. Really, Job is no fault of his own. But we see this, this suffering that, that comes upon Job. Remember Job? God allowed suffering to come upon Job for the span of a week. Job lost everything and everyone around him. His, and then his friends come and try to help Job understand why God was so, you know, so, uh, so allowing this suffering to come upon him. You know, they try to figure it out because they're like, you know, Job, you must have done something wrong, right? I mean, no, he deserves this much suffering. But what we discover in the book of Job, it really helps us understand that we must trust God in everything. Job did not deserve his suffering, but God still used his suffering to draw Job closer to relationship with him more so than ever. You know, even Jesus told his followers very peculiar verse. He said, if anybody were to take, or, you know, were to come after me to take up his cross and follow him. Now, the cross is an instrument of suffering. So even Jesus commands his followers to take up your suffering and follow him. Amen. You know, Paul, even on his conversion to the road to Damascus, was, you know, Paul, God commissions Paul for the work ahead of him and reminds Paul the suffering he must endure. You know, even now, Jonah inside the belly of the fish, we can see the suffering of God's prophet. So I just want to take a moment. I really just want to talk about suffering. Suffering. I think, uh, really, you know, what, what about suffering? You know, the big question that we might have wrestled with or struggled with is, why does God allow suffering? You ever get that? You ever had that in your own life? You ever think through that? How God is using suffering, or why does God allow suffering even today? Now, I'm not going to do this exhaustive exposition on suffering. I don't think I have the time, or I don't think there are a lot more people who have done uh, great work in this. I'm just going to kind of, I really want to give you kind of a, a maybe a 30,000 foot view of suffering, kind of put it in some categories, and I really want you to wrestle with a question. And it's not, there's really no easy answer. But I know in, in our church, we have and will continue to have people who work through different varieties of suffering. So I don't have all the answers. I'm going to start out right there. But hopefully, we might get a little insight from the scriptures and also the book of jo uh, Jonah. We might ponder and think about the deep things of God. You might be in a place like Psalm 88 today. Psalm 88 says this. 
O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night in the dark, in the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul has had enough troubles. You might be dealing with suffering and wondering, where is God in my suffering? Now, this is a hard thing to kind of look at. Suffering really can come through our own actions. We're very aware of this. We live a certain way, and we end up suffering later in life, either through health or other situations. But I'm not talking about that kind of suffering. I'm actually talking about other kinds of suffering that we might even um, be aware of. I know in my own family, you know, we, we wonder. We have people who are dealing with cancer, health problems. I have family members in the hospital. I have uh, friends in the hospital. And sometimes the only thing we do is cry out to God and ask Him to heal our ones we love. Um, so we don't, sometimes we don't have the answer. But the other suffering is even harder to understand like Job. When it comes upon people who really have, don't deserve it. So we know that in suffering... When you look at suffering, there really is suffering for, for two kinds of individuals. We have the suffering for the Christian and the suffering for the non-Christian. We see it all around us, right? What can we do in our suffering, or what I want to look at for the next few minutes is kind of looking at suffering. We know God can use suffering in the lives of these two pe- types of people. We have the suffering for the believer, and we have the suffering for the unbeliever. Now, I just want to talk about the suffering for the unbeliever briefly to give you kind of a context of, of maybe where, how God might use that in, a, in an unbelieving a person's life. Right? The Bible is very clear about the outcome of the, of the unbeliever in suffering. God can either bring about suffering or use natural suffering for His purposes. Right? You can barely turn on the news and witness some tragedy around the world where people are suffering. You know, I, I think about this last week, the, um, uh, the building that collapsed in Florida. You know, I know many people today are wondering, where is God in this tragedy? You know, Jesus was asked the same question, believe it or not, in Luke chapter 13. What happened there, a, a tower fell upon group of people killing them. About 18 people died during that time. And they were asking Jesus, is it because of their sin they died or were there some of their purpose? Jesus looks and responds to something very, very surprising. He said it would happen to bring about salvation. He says, he says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So, we can see that even in Jonah chapter 1, the, the, the experience with the fishermen, they experienced suffering, their imminent death basically from the storm and the presence of God, and they went away worshiping God. Their lives were changed when God was thrust upon their lives. But in each, it really is to bring about the knowledge and understanding of God. So suffering should remind us that life on this earth is short and we should want to seek and understand the life after this life. 
Oftentimes a tragedy, people seek after God for understanding. I'm old enough to remember Sunday after 9-11. The churches were full, packed, because people sought after an understanding in that tragedy. We know that Romans speaks of the wrath of God. It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So God can use suffering to bring about people's salvation to the unbeliever. Now, what about suffering for the believer? Now, this is the hard one. Um, Tim Keller wrote a great book on suffering. Uh, He says in his book on the suffering of believers, he said, some suffering is given in order to chastise or correct a person of wrong, wrongful patterns of life. We're reading that now in Jonah, right? Jonah's sin. Then he says, some suffering is given not to correct past wrongs, but really to prevent future ones. In this case, it was, uh, he, he looked at um, Joseph sold into slavery. Joseph was sold into slavery, suffered in the prison for several years for the sole purpose of saving Israel during a severe famine. Right? And Keller says also, and some suffering has no other purpose than to lead a person to love God more greatly for himself alone, and so discover the ultimate peace and freedom. Now, when I think through these, you know, the suffering for the believer, I, I kind of I don't want it. <laughs> you know, it does draw us closer to God, but we don't want to go through that suffering, do we? But either, it's either to, to discipline or to prepare us for the future, right? But all of it, suffering draws us closer to God. So, let's, let's look at this. Some suffering is the direct cause of sin, just as we've been reading about in Jonah. He is obviously disobedient to God's calling upon his life, and he turns. He's running from God. But in his sin, God has not abandoned him, has he? God's seeking after him, and if we were to repent and turn towards God, we don't find more punishment. We find more grace. The fish in this chapter is God's grace upon Jonah. God in His mercy and grace is using suffering to correct Jonah's sin. As Jonah is running from God, God is running after Jonah. And that's something we can hold on to today. God is running after us, even when we are disobedient in our own sin. Now, the second point of suffering that Keller talks about is prepare us for the future. Now, in your life, God might have used a past tragedy or suffering, so you might be able to comfort someone today. I have no way witnessed this in our church. We have life experiences that are useful to help discipline and disciple others around us. But in all of it, we are growing more towards Christ's likeness in our suffering. Here in Jonah, in our reading today, we will see how God is using the suffering in Jonah's life to change Jonah's heart, preparing him for the task he put before him. God says, go to Nineveh. Why does God want Jonah to go to Nineveh? What's the ultimate purpose? To save them. 
God is seeking after Jonah, but he's ultimately seeking after the Ninevites for their salvation. God is preparing Jonah to see what God sees, that he seeks after sinners. God sought after me, and I'm sure we all have stories we can share where God has sought after you too. But it wasn't like we had to get ourselves prepared and, and made right. God sought us where we were at in our own sin and disobedience. Maybe not the extreme that Jonah finds himself today, but I bet it was just as glorious in God's mercy and grace upon your life too. Here Jonah finds himself thrown into the sea, and again, he's going down. But it's not simply being at the bottom that begins to change Jonah, get this, but it's what he does at the bottom that really matters. Jonah is in the pit, but from that pit, he does something which has been absent from this story so far. Jonah begins to pray. He prays at the bottom, and that's where God changes him. Jonah's prayer begins at the bottom, literally at the bottom of the sea, and continues in the belly of the fish. Jonah's prayer is a declaration of God's grace. It takes the whole prayer for Jonah in his declaration of God's grace before he's released back to the land of the living. Tim Keller again says, grace becomes, more, becomes wondrous, endless counseling, beautiful and humbling only when we grasp that we deserve nothing but condemnation and that we are utterly incapable of saving ourselves and that God has saved us despite our sin. So I want to look at these next, this prayer from Jonah, these short uh, nine, ten verses. We're going to look at, at these, this verse that, um, that Jonah does while he's in the belly of the fish. So look at your God's, uh, God, copy of God's Word. It'll be in uh, chapter 2, verse 2. He says, I called out in my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I called for help from the depth of Shoal. Now, Shoal is a place of extreme darkness. It's where they said the dead would go. Jonah is in the sea. He's going down. But he says this. He says, you heard my voice. He says, for you threw me into the deep. Who put Jonah in the sea? God did. He used a fisherman to do it, but God ultimately did. Jonah sees that. Who's in control? It's, it's God. The fishermen were not the cause of him being in the current situation. God has Jonah right where he wants him, at the bottom. Think about that. God is able to do great works in us even when we are at our bottom. He continues, Into the sea, into the heart of the sea, and the currents flow around me. All your breakers and waves pass over me. Verse 4, so I said, I have been cast out from your sight. Jonah here, he knows he's suffering from his sin. He feels far from God. He continues, nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Jonah knows again that he knows God's grace. Verse 5, he says, water encompasses me to the point of death. A deep flowed the deep flowed around me. Seaweeds was wrapped around my head. 
I ascended to the base of the mountains. That is deep, folks. Deeper he goes, deeper in the pit of the sea, to the very base of the mountains. He says, the earth with its bars was around me forever. Jonah knows he has no way out of this. This is the end for him. No human heart will ever learn its sinfulness by being told it's sinful. We have to be shown often in a brutal experience. No human heart will dare to believe in such free, costly grace and as the only hope. Prayer can move us to a wonder and amazement even in the darkest, deepest places of our lives. When all hope is lost, when all hope is lost, there in verse 6, we read, But you, maybe in your ESV you have, Yet you, yet you, but you, have brought up my life from the pit, Lord my God. But you, yet you. This story is not about Jonah, even though he's part of the story. This story is not about the Ninevites, even though they are part of the story. The story is not about the fish, folks. This story is about God. But you, yet you. When I read those verses, my mind went all the way over to New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says this, Even you were dead in your offenses and sin, in which you previously walked according to his course of this world, according to the prince of the powers of the air, of the spirit is now working the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the minds, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest, period. We are all lost. But Ephesians doesn't end there, does it? Just like in the book of Jonah here, it doesn't end. Jonah sees no way out. Bars are closed around him forever. Here in Ephesians, we were enemies of God. But then we turn that corner just as Jonah turned that corner. And we read in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, But God, but you, O God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up and seated with us him at the heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, for God prepared beforehand so that we would walk with him. Jonah comes to that conclusion, but you, yet you have brought me up from my life in the pit, O oh my God. But God saves Jonah by having a fish swallow him. Do you think Jonah's like, this is much better. This is much better. Remember, he's in, the, he's in this fish belly for three days and three nights. Jonah begins to praise God and dedicate himself before he has any insurance he will escape the fish. God restores our broken relationships. This is the real deliverance. 
not the release of the fish. There's nothing good about this situation. But Jonah has been brought low and given a lesson that God is sovereign. There's a fatal, there is a fatal flaw in Jonah's character, we learn. He has, it's been hidden from him as long as his life was going well. Remember, Tom talked about this last week. Jonah was brought out of his comfort zone to go to the Ninevites, something that hasn't happened before in Scripture. A prophet was told to leave his current country and go. But as long as he was there, he was fine. It was only through a complete failure that he could, again, begin to see it and change it. He says, but you have been brought up from, li- from my life in the pit, O Lord. And then verse 7 he says, while I was fading away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who are followers of worthless idols abandon their faithfulness. Again, Jonah had three days and three nights to think a lot over. Coming to the same conclusion that the fishermen on the boat did. Right? They worshipped false gods. But when they encountered the one true God, they went away worshipping him. The, the men on the boat, just as Jonah had come to the conclusion, there's a lot of idols in their life that block us from receiving God's grace. But boy, do we love our idols, don't we? We put things in front of us that show us comfort, right? But God's there to some kind of shake that up and move us into a place where we can actually experience God fully. Verse 9, it says, But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. Again, from the belly of the fish, still in distress, he gives thanksgiving. He says, That which I vow, I will pay. Giving sacrifice to God and a voice of thanksgiving, again, from the stomach of the fish. He knows, he doesn't know he's going to get out of this. He doesn't know if he's going to be slowly digested from this fish. Being brought low, Jonah gives thanksgiving even from his situation. Humbling, submitting before God. And then Jonah's prayer ends with a shout. A shout we can all proclaim, salvation is from the Lord. Some has called this text a central verse of Scripture. It literally says, salvation is from the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord alone and no one else. We just read that in Ephesians chapter 2. Jonah finds himself running from God in sin, being brought low and feeling abandoned by God. But God, we read, but God has not abandoned him. He finds himself uniquely saved, repents, puts his trust in God, and finds deliverance from his situation. When God has Jonah right where he wants him, we read in verse 10, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on the dry land. Those are the two bookends of this story. God has Jonah right where he wants him. He might have God, God might have you where he wants you. God is always in control. Salvation is from the Lord. If we are humble ourselves, repent of our sins, God will deliver us from the depths, deliver us from death to life and save us. You might find yourself in the pit or belly of fish today, 
but we can still reach out in thanksgiving. God's the same of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. and can meet you in your deep suffering. He, is, he has not and will not ever abandon you. This is the message that, I, that God has laid in my heart to give to our church today. So with that, I'm going to just ask that we pray. We prepare ourselves for the table. Come, we come to celebrate what God has done in our lives, what God has done in our pit where we were. God has given us a great Savior, Jesus Christ. We put our trust in Him. God will save us. Salvation is from the Lord, we can proclaim today. Let us pray. Oh, heavenly gracious Father, thank you for just the story of Jonah, just the how you brought Jonah from the pit to a point when he can shout, salvation is from you. We know that, Lord, as we can look back and just see what Christ has done on the cross, Lord, you have given us a great Savior in you. Lord, let us remove our idols that prevent us from experiencing this grace that we can proclaim to you everything that's good because we know it is all good. Even in our suffering, Lord, we can still seek you in thanksgiving. But we ask that you deliver us from, from this suffering, Lord. Bring us to a place of humility into your presence, Lord, that we can experience your grace. We thank you for this message of Jonah as we continue to worship you in song, continue to worship in the, in the uh, elements, Lord. We thank you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen.